0: back to Tay Learning. I'm Danny,
1: And I'm Olivia, and we are your co-hosts.
0: Yes, we are. And Olivia, yesterday, Tay Learning and Taylors the podcast officially dropped on Spotify and Anchor. How do you feel?
1: I'm so excited, but also it just doesn't feel real. We've been talking about this for months.
0: I know. Has it really been months? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Oh
1: my huh. God good for us. Yes, and if you're listening, thanks for being here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really
0: excited to build a little Taylor Swift community, a Taylor Swift and learning community. I received messages from friends saying like even if they weren't super into Taylor Swift, they loved learning things and yes. even if you don't love learning things, maybe you love
1: Taylor Swift. So Exactly, and I'm really excited for um, you know, this thing we're trying to do because this isn't a space just for crazy obsessive Swifties, but a place for people who don't know that much about Taylor or who want to learn about our passions as our friends. So this is a place for everybody. It really
0: is. And obviously Taylor Swift is this cultural phenomenon. We've already talked about that. We're going to continue talking about that. So there's so much to cover. And one of the biggest things to cover as a hardcore fan. And I feel like even if you casually listen, you might've caught on to this. Taylor Swift
1: has so much anxiety about staying relevant. Yes. Because, you know, beyond the fame, she is just kind of a normal person and we all deal with anxiety about, you know, what we're going to do with our lives. If the current career that we're pursuing doesn't work out and like what the future looks like for us in general. And I can't imagine how much pressure she feels in her position.
0: I can't either, especially since she was skyrocketed to fame, like mega fame so early in her career. Most of the time people get skyrocketed to that level of fame that early. I mean, it burns bright, but it doesn't burn long.
1: Yeah, and she didn't really expect it to last nearly as long as it did. Um, I know that we plan on doing some deep dives into a couple of her songs that really showcase her anxiety around this topic. And I'm glad that you made the point of she didn't expect to get so big so fast because I feel like that's kind of the center of what we're gonna be talking about in this episode.
0: Yeah, she's written a few songs specifically about fame, anxiety, and she's written a lot of songs about anxiety in general, which <laughs> will have its own day in the spotlight, if you allow that pun. Um, but <laughs> today we're going to be talking about a song from Speak Now. What song is that, Olivia? So
1: we're going to be talking about Long Live. Long Live is the closer to her 2010 Speak Now album, um, I guess to kind of begin and paint the picture that Taylor was kind of feeling when she wrote this song. Um, So her second studio album, Fearless is, um, well, it came out in 2009 or 2008, excuse me. And she won a ton of awards for it. She, you know, shot up to fame really quickly. Mm-hmm. And she wins awards like, she won Grammy for Album of the Year at, in the 2010 Grammys. Um, she won Album of the Year in 2009 at the Academy of Country Music Awards. And she just really swept those big awards that I'm sure she wasn't prepared for at that time. Um, and so, I feel like she kind of didn't think that her career had anywhere left to go after she reached those big milestones.
0: Yeah. And that's been like a really central focus of her career the entire time for not just her, but from external sources, right? Like if you mm-hmm. look at tabloids from the late aughts, there were stories about how she was probably going to burn bright and fade out. So Yeah. She's not immune to hearing that stuff either. And she did what Taylor Swift always does, which is take those feelings and turn them into art. And Long Live was the first song, to my knowledge, that she really addresses her extreme relevance and fame anxiety in a really beautiful Heartland
1: rock Mm. tune. I love this song so much. Um, So I guess let's like just dive into the lyrics and like start, unpacking everything that she's put into the, um, the song. So it starts with, I said, remember this moment in the back of my mind, the time that we stood with our shaking hands, the crowds and stands went wild. Um, to me, the we refers to her and her band. I feel like this whole song is kind of like a letter to her fans and to her band and all the people that have worked beside her to make mm-hmm. her dreams come true. And I feel like this part of the song really refers to the beginning of her career before she got super famous when they were a little bit nervous still, you know, performing, Um, but they found comfort in the fact that fans, quote unquote, went wild. Um, And I can just imagine her taking in the cheers from her fans in the stands at the very beginning of a concert and telling herself, like, I need to remember this. This moment is what I need to remember.
0: Yeah. Because even if, like, Mm -hmm. the fame happened to go away quickly after that, like, at least she was able to capture that moment and have, I'm probably going to say the phrase magic in a bottle a hundred times on this podcast, (laughs) Um, but that was, like, a moment that she really wanted to capture.
1: Yeah, and the way that, like, she feels things so deeply, like, she can take those little moments and, like, hold on to them forever, and I think she was just making sure that she appreciated every moment of her fame while she had it. Yeah, agreed. Mm. And then um, she continues to go on saying, we were the kings and the queens and they read off our names. The night that you dance like you knew our lives would never be the same. Um, this era of Taylor's career, I feel like she really loved to write fairy tale themed metaphors. And you can see that in Kings and Queens. Um, I think she's still referencing her and her team, you know, her producers, co-writers, band members, anyone that worked with her to create music. Um, and then when she said they read off our names, the night you dance, like you knew our lives would never be the same. I think that refers to the 2010 Grammys when she won album of the year for fearless. Um, See, I've
0: heard other takes. I've heard that it's November really? 11th, 2009, when the 43rd, 43rd annual CMAs happened because she picked up so
1: many awards that year. That's true. And country, I was guess still it could just be awards in general then, you know? Yeah. I mean, and- it probably is both nights yeah <laughs> like honestly. she won so many awards for fearless <laughs> just back to back to back gosh um, um.
0: you held your head like a hero on a history book page it was the end of a decade with the start of an age and that line it was the end of a decade but the start of an age is my favorite lyric probably on speak now So (laughs) good my sister Kate if you're listening put it as like her Instagram caption when we entered 2020 which in retrospect is kind of depressing considering how 2020 went but that line absolutely (laughs) shakes me to this day what a banger of a line as she goes into 2010 Uh. thinking that she was going to you know fall off the charts and then she comes out of the gate like red 1989 rep lover like okay it was a start of an age
1: honestly that line gives me chills um because in retrospect like it's almost like she had an accidental foresight of her career because i'm sure she didn't know at the time how big her career was going to become. I mean, it was just beginning at this time. So obviously it was the end of a decade, start of an age, but I don't think she had any true idea how big she would become and how long she would be as big as she is. She had no idea.
0: She had no idea. She couldn't
1: even imagine.
0: The world knew though. The world knew. The world knew.
1: And then the line, you held your head like a hero on a history book page. I feel like it's kind of similar vibes to We Were the Kings and the Queens. It's just kind of like a grand and triumphant statement. It just shows like how she feels like she's at the peak of her career that she's triumphed. Like they've already done it, which is kind of wild. This is 2010 Taylor Swift before she blew up completely. Like she already thought she blew up and it was over. She hadn't even like
0: taken into the pop scene yet. Um, That brings us into the chorus of this song. Olivia, I would love for you to read it like a poet.
1: Always, always. Long live the walls we crashed through, how the kingdom lights shined just for me and you. I was screaming long live all the magic we made and bring on all the pretenders. One day we will be remembered.
0: So first of all, stunning. Second of all, do you think that this song in some ways is like a sequel to change? Fearless because then you yeah, have funny you
1: should mention that <laughs> yeah because the lyrics these walls they put up to hold us back yes. will fall down and then I've the always yes I've always considered change to be about her career also and like the anticipation of her career taking off so I don't think that was done on accident
0: yeah I don't think so either maybe change was like her god I'm gonna get even bigger and then um yeah long live like, was like ooh, just kidding <laughs> like
1: we did it already <laughs>
0: we did it girlies it's time to go home
1: oh my gosh but yeah I noticed that too like yeah like I said I feel like change is like I'm. Um, we're determined to make this work you know we're we're chasing our dreams and long live is like we've achieved our dreams yeah mm. and then um her talking about kingdom and magic again like with the fairy tale metaphors um, the kingdom lights shine just for me and you I always interpret as a metaphor for being on stage surrounded by everyone she loves like her band her fans and that's her kingdom you know um, yeah. that's the kingdom that she's been able to create with her fans um, all the magic we made referring to everything they've been able to create from the music to her fandom I know she really loves her fandom. Um, so that's just like really special. I feel like.
0: Agreed. Um,
1: Um, and then one day we will be remembered. It feels like she's already anticipating the end of her career too, which I can't, I can't believe 19 year old Taylor is like, yeah, it's about to be over.
0: (laughs) Yeah, honestly, um, this pushes us into the second verse. Um, I said, remember this feeling. I passed the pictures around of all the years that we stood there on the sidelines wishing for right now. That feels pretty self-explanatory to me. Like she spent the first part of her life Mm -hmm. working towards exactly what she's experiencing right now. Like look at these pictures of young me getting a guitar when I was a kid. And now I'm using guitars on stages in front of thousands and thousands of people.
1: Yeah. I feel like she was definitely using those lines to sort of reminisce on the earlier days of her career. And, you know, the point in time when she was dreaming of success, but she's also now acknowledging that she's currently at the place where she's always dreamed of being. Um, And I feel like it's kind of important to note that because it seems like it becomes kind of a trigger for her anxiety over her career in the future. Like she's living her dream currently. You know, she's no longer working toward it. Like it's happening right now.
0: For sure. And then it goes into one of the most iconic, I think, lines of this song, which is, we are the kings and the queens. You traded your baseball cap for a crown when they gave us our trophies and we held them up for the town. Now there's a lot of metaphors here. Um, The baseball caps, literal, the crowns, not so literal, Um, (laughs) and the trophies, CMA awards, Grammy awards. Yes. Um, just a beautiful piece of, you know, people love to reference that, like, oh, baseball cap for a crown, that's a pretty common thing, I feel Mm -hmm. like, at least I've seen that.
1: Yeah, and the, we held up our trophies for our town line, Um, I listened to her acceptance speech at the 2010 Grammys, and it just feels like it really ties it together really nicely, Um, she said, I just hope that, you know, how much this means to me and to Nathan, my producer, and to all these musicians you see on the stage with me, that we get to take this back to Nashville. Like, she's just so cute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And for those who don't know, she was born in Pennsylvania and she was partially raised in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they moved to Nashville pretty early on, you know, as we talked about in our previous episodes to kick off her career with Big Machine. So Nashville's home to her as much as, you know, any place that you went to for middle school is home to you. Yes. Um, and the cynics were outraged screaming, this is absurd because for a moment, a band of thieves in ripped jeans got to rule the world. Take that critics. Like that's the entire <laughs> right? point of that line. People are pissed. Uh, People don't like a she woman she was like power. so
1: young, yes. And I feel like her use of, you know, a band of thieves in ripped up jeans kind of refers to how they were just normal people before this, or she felt like they were just normal people before this, Um, but now they get to rule the world. They've conquered their dreams.
0: Yeah. Um, We go into the chorus again after this, and the first part's the same, but then we have long live all the mountains we moved. I had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. She does love her symbolism, and
1: her fairy tale metaphors
0: (laughs) she loved that stuff she probably still (laughs) does but i mean speak now was like the epitome of it
1: yeah i mean this is um the album that had enchanted on it it's just like this magical like fairy tale song
0: (laughs) yeah i was screaming long live that look on your face which is the only other different lyric in this yeah chorus but you got to imagine she's up on stage looking at people's faces yes. and being like oh that's why I do this gosh
1: and I feel like the uh I had the time of my life fighting dragons with you line it just really drives home like we were saying that she uses these fairy tale metaphors and I feel like she viewed her career as an epic fairy tale which is so on brand for that era of her life yeah. like I don't feel like she fully felt like her life was real at this point
0: yeah the last set of lyrics that I believe are different is the bridge and the bridge mm-hmm. is an emotional bridge the so entire song the is emotional is yeah this this bridge really you know captures the feeling that she was having about her Relevancy about her fame yeah. anxiety. Um, let's go through part.
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so sing it to me, baby. We we kick off with hold on to spinning around, confetti falls to the ground, may these memories break our fall. So hold on to spinning around, confetti falls to the ground. I feel like it clearly describes her being on stage. It's a performance, and I um, can just imagine Taylor on stage thinking through these things, like standing like during, like after an encore, everyone's cheering, the confetti's falling at her show and she's just really trying to soak up every second of this moment because she, it, to her, it's fleeting. Um, oh, she
0: so loves so her confetti. Gosh,
1: I also saw, maybe, sorry, go
0: ahead. Oh, no, you're good. I saw um, somebody say that Spinning Around was a song that Taylor never officially released. So that could be referencing. Interesting one of her I underground heard of that songs that
1: one. yeah we'll have to look into all of her unreleased songs one time and talk about that I feel like that would be really interesting
0: yeah I mean it was a one-on-one of her demo cds way back when like 2003 yeah. <laughs> so we'll probably talk about that later but I mean that would be yes. a cool little easter egg and she loves her easter eggs
1: she loves her Easter eggs
0: <laughs> and right, everything Taylor
1: does is not on purpose <laughs> oh, yeah. kind of uh, but may these memories break our fall is in itself I feel like such a powerful line too because the way that she's already anticipating the end of her career and she's already preparing to look back at these times as the good old days um, it's just wild to think nowadays because like we've been saying over and over, she had no idea how much her career would grow.
0: Yeah, Gosh. she had no idea. And whatever, I mm. this, this bridge makes me emotional mm. and it moves <laughs> into, know. will you take a moment, promise me this, that you'll stand by me forever. But if God forbid fate should step in and force us into a goodbye, if you have children someday, um, when they point to pictures, please tell them my name. That's a big chunk of lyrics we just went through. So let's break it down. Yes. (laughs) Like the hope that her strong fans would stand by her forever. I mean, she had no idea how big that fan base would grow. Uh, Literally this entire song is basically just her having no foresight at all. Um, But uh, that you'll stand by me forever. Most fans did. And she garnered a lot more. And then if God forbid fate should step in again, fate right there. She truly believes that it is her fate because it is the fate of all artists in her head to once you have peaked, there isn't another mountaintop. You can't keep growing mountaintops out of your ass and she keeps doing it, but she doesn't know this at the time.
1: No, because I don't think she had enough confidence to recognize that she could break barriers and change standards. She just thought she was going to be like every other female artist that has ever existed.
0: Yeah. And, you know, people don't love female artists. There are so many stories of women when they hit a certain age, they're no longer somebody that can be seen as serious or as likable. That's really common for women in the entertainment industry and even in music. It happens to most female artists. So I'm sure that she saw those that came before her and said, I will be no different. I cannot think that I am different. And- I'm not even saying like, oh, Taylor Swift is super special. I'm saying that those women who came before her deserved better and women in music still deserve better. She saw that thought that she was going to fall off this mountaintop, and instead just kept climbing but she had no idea. Yeah,
1: she had no idea. And you know, I'm gonna pull up the Grammys acceptance speech again because I feel like the moment she won album of the year at the Grammys kind of triggered a lot of these lyrics in twenty um, in 2010, how we got to win album of the year at the Grammys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so like, if that doesn't, you know, obviously explain that she thought this was the peak of her career, that this was gonna be the moment that she told her grandkids about, not about how she won album of the year for the second time in 2014 or the second time for 2020. No, it's gonna be the 2010 Grammys because she was the first woman to win album of the year twice, let alone three times. So she already got the biggest award she could possibly get. She didn't think there was an option to get it a second or a third time.
0: Yeah. She didn't see that it's never happened before. So why should it happen to her? Yeah, Um, And it moves into the really
1: emotional part
0: about if you have children someday, when they point to my pictures, please tell them my name. Mm I mean, that's, again, a really self-explanatory moment that's super emotional because she's thinking that this is going to be something that isn't brought up again. She's not going to be relevant again until 20, 30, 40 years from now when people, like people do with all artists, like people being like, oh my God, I love the Beatles. Well, your parents weren't even alive when the Beatles were at their peak, kid. So I no. think that's what she's thinking is going to be her level of relevancy is a pop back into people's minds later and having vintage t-shirts be worn in high school in the year 2015.
1: Yeah. Oh, please tell them my name. Like, don't worry, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> tell them how the
0: crowds went wild. Tell them how I hope they shine.
1: Mm.
0: Wow. Yeah. And If you haven't heard this song, us saying it probably does not invoke a whole lot of emotional response and you hear her sing this and I I really hope the music underneath
1: it really like builds up this upcoming moment because it's building up and building up and then it kind of cuts and she goes long live the walls we crashed through I had the time of my life with you this part (laughs) literally if I and actively listening to it, and I allow myself to be in my feels. I cry every time. I can confirm
0: this because Olivia was just reading off the lyrics like they were a poem to my boyfriend the other day, like made him stand there and make eye contact <laughs> yeah. for the minute and a half that it took her to read this is This is a off. true story. <laughs> this is a true story. And I was like, you're going to listen to her listen to the emotion. And he was like, yep, that's good. But I mean people don't get like, it. Okay. The girls that get it, get it and the girls that don't don't. Mm.
1: But it's but like it's for emotional. us as big Swifties, like we get emotional listening to the actual song, but I think it's very powerful as just a red poem. Like it's just okay
0: oh Agreed. And that's one of the things that's consistent across Taylor's discography, with the few exceptions of stuff that is obviously intended for a radio play or marketing. Mm -hmm. Think Shake It Off, think Me. Most of her songs, if they were read out loud, could read like slam poetry if you
1: wanted them to. Yeah. I'm not gonna quote this correctly because I didn't come prepared, but (laughs) I watched the Reputation Stadium tour on Netflix recently, again, you know, naturally, and she was doing the thing where she talks before she starts playing a song and she's like playing like on her guitar a little bit as like background music and she was getting ready to play an acoustic version of i think dancing with our hands tied or something and she was talking about how she early on realized what makes her music so special to her fans specifically is that they can relate to the lyrics and so she always tries to make a point when she writes songs that it can be stripped down to just her voice and a guitar and still be beautiful because of the lyrics. So like her acoustic versions of her pop songs are still incredible because it reads like poetry.
0: And it's intended to, it's not an accident. And oh. I'm glad you brought up Reputation because she did perform it on her Reputation Tour. She performed it on her Speak Now Tour and on a few mm. dates of the Red Tour and the 1989 World Tour. So I feel like this song is going to be a recurrence throughout her tours for the rest mm. of her career should she decide to tour again. Taylor Swift, if you're listening somehow, please tour again. Um, With I, many stadiums because you know, it's going to be so hard to get tickets. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready for the bloodbath. I'm truly not, um, um. but yeah, that's that's this song is going to be recurring for a long time because it is the pinnacle of her fame anxiety and of some of her best songwriting on speak now in my opinion
1: literally and when she introduces this song again on the reputation stadium tour because you know that's fresh in my mind um she you know goes into this big um speech about how you know it's not just her on the on stage that makes the show what it is it's the backup singers the dancers the people who build the stage people to take it down security people who sell food like basically thank everybody that made tonight happen and then she ends it with and of course there really wouldn't be a show to put on stage if you guys didn't want to come be at the show so this is a song that for me is always going to be about you <laughs> Talking to the fans Ugh. Beautiful,
0: yeah. devastating. Gosh. This is a diary entry. I think it actually was literally really? one of her journal entries from yeah, June of 2010. I so. But mm. I I want to touch a little bit on what critics thought of the song because again, a lot of this song is about how she was critically shit on for being the young female in music. And yeah. critics loved this song. They loved it. <laughs>
1: And the line, I had the time of my life with you. Like, I feel like that just really drives home how she didn't think she was going to achieve more than she already did. Like it was in past tense. Like it's not, I have time of my life with you right now or I am having the time of my life with you. It was had. And (laughs) Danny, if you ever came up to me and said, Olivia, you know, I've been thinking, I, I really have had a good time being your friend. I would think you're breaking up with me and it was over. <laughs> like, Can you imagine doing that to somebody. I mean, like,
0: Taylor Swift did it to millions of people, but could you imagine physically doing it to somebody's face? I, like- I would, I, no, I would change my name. I would, if somebody did that to me, I would be thinking about it every day for the rest of my life. I've had a good time here.
1: <laughs> and I'll she didn't mean it, it like any like bad type of way, but it's just like, she was very, she's already thinking in past tense.
0: <laughs> yeah, she was already prepared for this. She was prepared for by the time Speak Now came out for her relevancy yeah. to tanked. This
1: um, was a
0: preemptive goodbye letter, just in case. It is, and Brock <laughs> Sheffield from Rolling Stone said that he found the song to be heavy handed, but effective quote, speak now peaks with long live a ridiculously so over the top prom anthem with all the epic <laughs> girl group swoon of the Ronettes or the Shirelles plus a guitar lick from deaf leopards hysteria. Yet mm. when Swift sings it, damn, if you don't believe every word. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed.
1: And I've seen so much talk on like, you know, Taylor Swift online communities or Swifty communities, I guess I should say about how, if this isn't the last song she performs live, she really messed up. <laughs> like, can you imagine being there when it's her last live performance ever, she's about to retire because her and Joe are married and have 10 kids. And like, she sings this song and she's like, goodbye everybody, here's long live, sobbing. I think.
0: That if um, I was there for that show, I would have to die immediately because I knew that my life wouldn't go up from there. It's the end. (laughs) I know we're talking about how like peaks keep coming, but I'm not Taylor Swift. So this is the end of an age. (laughs) Yeah. The end of an age. We already got through through the end of the decade. God, Now the age has ended at that point. No, I would, I would cry. Um,
1: I just hope. So for the the record, Danny and I have um, both been unfortunate enough to never see Taylor perform live. Whenever we do so, I will be a little heartbroken if she doesn't sing this to me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Agreed. Also, just for clarification, it is not out of lack of want to see Taylor Swift live. It is when I was younger out of lack of my parents wanting to cough up the money. Thus, yep. when I got older and was a college student and had to pick between bread and Taylor Swift, <laughs> I made the wrong decision and I chose bread.
1: <laughs> and we'll we'll do a little deep dive of our own personal journeys as Swifties at some point, but yeah we both kind of have a similar experience of we couldn't afford it as a teenager and then it was suddenly not cool like taylor swift in college and then um her last tour was reputation so <laughs> yep. Yep, yep yep so <laughs> there are regrets
0: <laughs> i yeah there are definitely regrets i just i love that this song got so much love from critics and from fans alike because i feel like that's not always it's the way so that it special. is. Um, That guy, Rob Sheffield, whose quote that I read off, ranked it as the sixth best song that Taylor Swift has ever released. And that was in 2021. That was not when it came out. To this day, thinks that it's one of the best things she's ever done. Other critics said that it was an anthem of defiance. Um, Mm -hmm. And others said that it was a throwaway song. And I'm like, if you think that (laughs) Long Live is a throwaway (laughs) song, how do you have your job? Even if you don't like long live, cause I get it. You know, it's the heartland rock pop thing. You can say this music isn't my music, but if you listen to that song and say, this is a throwaway song, you're not paying attention.
1: No. And I feel like as critics, like you have to kind of take your own personal preference with a grain of salt when you're like, you're, you know, judging songs like this, like it doesn't have to be, your type of music and it doesn't have to be something you would listen to on your own but like you can't deny all like the important metaphors and the way the music drives the song underneath the lyrics like you can't deny the impact that has even if it isn't something you'd listen to in your own time.
0: I think my personal favorite rendition of this song that really brings out that emotion that you're talking about um, with the last date of the 1989 world tour in Melbourne Australia which as you know I studied abroad there and that was just after <laughs> yes. the 1989 world tour I have to throw that in there okay um, but, did, hey did you study
1: abroad <laughs> you know
0: I went to Australia <laughs> um, but um, she played an acoustic version of the song and it was mm-hmm amazing it was beautiful I don't remember if it was the last song she did I don't think it was I think it was part of her set but could you imagine hearing that in an acoustic version live oh, during the 1989 world tour which yeah. was the album of the year and to date I think her best-selling album <laughs> I can't I can't what, oh, what yeah. an emotional... and then when
1: she performed it um, during the reputation tour, sorry, the reputation tour is like fresh on my brain. <laughs> i cannot not talking about it. <laughs> but when she performed it on that tour, she mashed it up with New Year's Day on piano. yeah, she did I don't know if you remember that one. it's yeah that one I think is pretty competitive for her best,
0: and you know that New, New Year's Day is one of my favorites on reputation, so
1: yeah, yes, it was beautiful. very emotional.
0: Ugh. Um, she also uh, recorded a version in 2012 um, with Paula Fernandez for a Brazilian edition of the, yeah, for the Speak Now World Tour Live. Um, I think that that's just fun. I think it's such a fun yes. way to get onto an international playing field and, you know, perform with another very talented performer from Brazil. Right. But I thought that that was fun and a really quirky way to Get her song out there, gosh. Which every time she it almost
1: feels like over time she's realized how emotional this song makes her fans, and she plays into it like it's her goal to make her fans cry when she plays this song. Now it almost seems like like she knows what she's doing with an acoustic version. She knows what she's doing like with just her voice and the piano. She knows what she's doing.
0: She's aware. (laughs) And long live to me is not the peak of her fame anxiety because we have more songs to go when it comes to her fame anxiety. Yes. But it is probably the most, pandering is the wrong word because that comes with a negative connotation, but it is probably the song that was written the most with the, this'll be a fun thing to jam to as a fan in mind, the other songs that we are gonna talk about, um, which are nothing new and nearable, spoiler alert, um, particularly, (laughs) maybe more if we think about them. those are not written so that fans can jam out to them. Those were, again, journal entries vomited onto page and long live was too, but it was put with this real fun rock music.
1: Right. I feel like this is good groundwork for what comes in nothing new and what comes in mirror ball, which are songs that more expose her deeper emotions about the matter. But this is like, just in case, you know, goodbye. I love
0: you. (laughs) I love you. She had (laughs) less risk, I think around when long live came out to speak now was
1: mm-hmm.
0: only her third album so yeah she had less risk um you get uh. later on you get nothing new we're in red you get mirrorball we're in folklore there's more anxiety about fame relevancy
1: and yeah because or, she builds more and more and more and more and like at what point is it going to crash
0: um the walls we crashed through you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> she had a long way to go she never truly lost her fame and relevancy anxiety. And for somebody who is one of the most recognizable faces in the world, one of the most famous artists in the world, I can't imagine that feeling. Yeah. Um, I can't it imagine it. just makes it.
1: me want to hug 19-year-old Taylor and be like, look at what you're going to amount to by the time you're 32 and what you still have coming for you. Like,
0: The argument ugh. could potentially be made that her fame anxiety has helped let keep her relevant because she's so anxious mm-hmm. about staying relevant that it keeps her on her toes. It makes me sad that that's something she feels like she has to do. Yeah. But constantly. Constantly evolving <laughs> because if you're not constantly evolving as a woman in this industry, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're tossed to the side. You're no longer something fresh, which <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about when we get to nothing new. Um, yeah. but because this is a really heavy topic, Olivia and I have made the joint decision that we should probably break up our Fame Anxiety series into a few separate episodes.
1: Yeah, I feel like um, that's the best way to give all of these songs, um, excuse me, (coughs) my goodness, all these songs, the justice they deserve.
0: (laughs) Agreed. So next week we are going to talk about sorry, Olivia's dying
1: in front of me. Yeah. Sadder than I am. Um, of course I don't have water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, have my empty cuff next to me. Lesson learned for recording the podcast for the future. <laughs> I don't always have water. Maybe Need sex. water.
0: <laughs> um, we have decided that the fame anxiety series is kind of a heavy hitter and we want to break it up because it's kind of sad and it makes us emotional yes. and I can't do this. For five weeks in a
1: row. No, <laughs> so, so uh, next week <laughs> we'll hit a little bit of a lighter topic and compare and contrast the openers to all of her albums and what it means for those albums, and then rank our favorite openers.
0: And I know what you're thinking. "Want Live" is a closer. Why wouldn't you use this to segue into closers? Because we didn't think about that. That's and also
1: this is the beginning of our podcast, so we're going to talk about the beginning of the albums. Bingo! <laughs> I like Olivia's excuse. <laughs> Well,
0: with that, follow us on Instagram at tailoring Podcast. For tailoring and Taylor Pod podcast, I'm Danny. Yeah, and I'm Olivia. And we will
1: see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. crashed through had of my you.